0: Well, good morning. It's good to see you this morning. I want to extend my welcome to you as well. All of you who are visiting, and thank you for giving up an extra hour of sleep to be with us this morning. And hey, we're moving the service time back to nine o'clock. Yeah, I was expecting more of a reaction, you know, we moved it back. Now you have no excuse. Moving it back a whole half an hour, you know, so that you can be here and uh, worship with us. We're glad that you're here this morning. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? Please, in Acts chapter 12, Acts chapter 12, we're going to read the entire chapter. It's not a long chapter. 25 verses. Isn't it... Isn't it amazing that we can stand here and read God's word together? I hope that you appreciate and are grateful this morning for the grace that you've been shown already today just by having access to God's word in your own language. What an incredible grace we've been given. So as we read, think about that. Acts chapter 12, starting in verse 1, I'll read... Through the entire chapter. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword, and when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord. And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Then he departed and went to another place. Now when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become a Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. And they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace, because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, The voice of a god and not of a man. Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down, because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. As a young man, I reached full height at around 12 or 13 years old, people thought I was going to be a lot bigger than I am right now. They thought, man, this guy's going to be six, 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 seven. But that was it. Six, two. That's where I was at 12 years old, 13 years old. But that made me one of the biggest kids in school. And so I liked to use my, uh, dominance over others. And in fact, mostly on my little brother, I like to pound him. But, uh, I also enjoyed, as many of you probably enjoyed, the game of King of the Hill. Ever played King of the Hill? And you can play it in various ways, various places, but you stand on top of something, or on a precipice, and you, you wrestle with somebody, and the whole goal is to push them off, so that you could be King of the Hill. I love that game, because I won all the time. Well, this morning, we come to a text... Where we see a battle take place, a contest, a great contest between two kingdoms. That's what's taking place in Acts chapter 12. We have two kingdoms set in opposition to one another. And the question of the text is which kingdom will win? Which kingdom will endure? Which kingdom will last? Throughout Scripture, we see this battle take place. Acts chapter 12 is not the only place where we see this contest. In fact, throughout all of Scripture, you remember from the very beginning, Jeremy prayed in his pastoral prayer Concerning the voice of God, we need to hear your voice, God. Remember in the Garden of Eden, where God spoke to man, Adam and Eve, there entered into that garden another voice, an opposing voice, who sought to undermine God's kingdom and God's king, Adam. And Adam listened to that voice. And as a result of that fall, God told the serpent, the other voice that entered the garden, that he would put enmity between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman, the one who was promised to Adam and Eve to come, who would bring them back to rest. And ever since that moment, there has been an ongoing battle between the seed of the serpent, those who listen to the voice of the one who opposes God, and the seed of the woman, the line of promise. There's been a battle, a war being waged ever since that day. And we see here in Acts chapter 12, an example of that battle. There is a wicked, glory-seeking king named Herod Agrippa. And he seeks to oppose the good news of God's kingdom. The good news of God's kingdom established in the name of his son, King, Jesus. Caught in the middle of this battle, caught in the middle of this great con- contest is a willing, obedient servant of the Lord, whose name is Peter. This battle between the wicked king, who is at the head of his wicked people, challenging the Lord and challenging the news of God's kingdom. This battle between the wicked king, leading his wicked people against the Lord and the Lord's people, who have been commissioned to carry the good news of God's kingdom to the world. This battle, I want you to know, this is, this is important. A lot of times we think of Bible times, like, well, we don't live in the Bible times. I want you to know that you very much live in the Bible times today. And the battle that is going on between the wicked king, Herod Agrippa, against the Lord and his people, that battle still goes on today. And you're part of it. You're part of it even this morning. And this this is this is something we need to understand. Because if you don't understand that you're at war, you're not going to be well equipped to fight well. So I want you to know this morning that you are indeed at war. You're involved in a great battle. Who will win? which kingdom will endure. Let's look at Acts chapter 12 and take it piece by piece. We see really three scenes unfold before us. In the first scene, we have the wicked king, the wicked ruler, Herod Agrippa, who violently attacks God's people. That's what the text says. He lays violent hands on some who belong to the church. Now, why does he do this? you stop and consider his motivation it tells you there in verse two and three he killed James the brother of John with the sword and when he saw that it pleased the Jews he proceeded to arrest Peter also this was during the days of unleavened bread so Herod Agrippa kills James remember James James the brother of John he was one of the sons of thunder remember that guy He's the first apostle who is martyred for the name of Jesus. And when Herod Agrippa sees that it pleases the Jews. This this pleased the Jews. Let's go after Peter also. Herod Agrippa is motivated by the glory of men. He's motivated by the approval of men. Do you know, this is a deeper thought than we have time to unfold, but did you know wicked kings cannot rule unless given rule by wicked people? If you read any biographies on wicked rulers or wicked kings, there are always wicked people behind their rule. Wicked kings rule because wicked men give them rule willingly. And here we see Herod Agrippa pleasing his people by opposing the church. The people of Israel are pleased at the opposition. And this, this is a biblical pattern, like I just said. It starts in the Garden of Eden. This is a biblical pattern we see. Wicked rulers opposing God's kingdom. Where do we see that in the Old Testament? In fact, I, I, I think this would be a really good exercise for you as a family... to to just think about all the times in the Bible where you have a wicked king, a wicked ruler, who who seeks his glory at the expense of God's people by putting them in slavery or bondage or seeking to persecute them. How many times do you see that in the Old Testament or throughout the entire scripture? It's, It's a major theme. Let me me recall to remembrance a couple of those scenes. Do you remember Pharaoh? What's the whole story of the Exodus about? God's people being oppressed by a wicked, glory-seeking king. And, And in fact, Moses, the servant of God, comes to the wicked king and appeals to him. But the wicked king hardens his heart. And he will not let God's people go. And then God, through many miraculous signs, shows his power and strength against the wicked king. And, and the power and strength that God displays just serves to harden Pharaoh's heart even more. And he will not let God's people go. And what is the result? Pharaoh is brought low in God's people. Are delivered. We see this pattern throughout the Old Testament. Remember Elijah and Elisha, who are pursued by the wicked kings of Israel, delivered by God's hand. And remember, this is this is a story that all of us love. Remember Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We love that story, don't we? What was that story about? You remember what that story is about? It'd be good as parents to talk to your kids about that story. Read that story in Daniel. If, you ever, if, you ever, if you're ever getting bored reading the Bible, just read the book of Daniel, the first six chapters or so. Read the book of Daniel. You remember in Daniel chapter 3, wicked King Nebuchadnezzar, who has again captured god's people he has exalted an uh, an image a statue an idol he has exalted his image and he demands that everyone bows down and worship his image that he has raised up he demands worship and there stands three men as everyone else bows there are three men who remain standing and this infuriates the king. He goes and has them brought to him. Do you remember what he says to them? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read part of Daniel 3 here. Verse 17 and 18. Here's what Nebuchadnezzar threatens the three men with. He says, but if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And then this is what he, what he asks them. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? This is what we're seeing, isn't it? In Acts chapter 12, as Herod Agrippa lays his violent hands upon God's people. A violent opposition to God's kingdom And his chosen servant is nothing new. The kings of the earth set themselves against God and his anointed. Psalm 2. Psalm 2 would be a good passage for you to know, where it details for us this enmity between the seed of the serpent. And the seed of the woman. This great contest ongoing. And I I again want you to realize that you are part of this. You and I live in a world of the kingdom of men. We live in the kingdom run by men. Men. And the kingdoms of men are always against the kingdom of God. This is the biblical pattern. This is the story. You and I, and, and understand what I mean by this, I'm not trying to fan the flames of some, some government-hating militia loving you know that's not what i'm trying to say i want you to understand as the church the the people who carry the banner of god's kingdom even by gathering here this morning i want you to understand what you're saying or what i hope that you understand you're saying we have a loyalty to the kingdom of god and to his son king that is the banner that we fly and because of that We are enemies of the state. Not not because we've chosen to be enemies of the state, but because the state will not suffer the glory of another kingdom, the glory of the kingdom of God. That's the cost. We live in the midst of a world that does not want us to proclaim that kingdom does not appreciate when we proclaim that kingdom and will do everything they can to quench the voice that proclaims God's kingdom. Peter is arrested. And the people of God, what do they do? You see it there in the text. So Peter was kept in prison, verse 5. But earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. The people of God pray and cry out to their God for deliverance. So the question after the first scene is Will Peter be delivered? Will Peter escape from the hands of the wicked king? Now I want to return to Daniel chapter 3 in the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I want to return to that story real quick. Do you remember what happens after Nebuchadnezzar brings them and he, he says, if you don't worship, I'm going to throw you in the fiery furnace and then what God is going to deliver you from my hands? Do you remember what then the response of the three men is there? Here's what they say. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, if you throw us into the fiery furnace, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand. But if not... (laughs) <laughs> be it known to you O king that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up I love that story and I love the truth of it and I, I think that's the attitude even here in Acts chapter 12 at the end of this first scene that's the attitude that Peter has The Lord, the God we serve, surely can deliver us out of your hand, O wicked king. But if not, we will not capitulate. We will not serve you or your golden image that you have set up if God chooses not to deliver us. That brings us to the second scene. We see first the wicked king violently attacking with violent hands god's people and then the second scene gives us the resting servant the resting servant what would you be doing the night before your death i don't know that i would be sleeping but that's what peter is doing look at it there Now when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. I I, I thought it was interesting how many guards Herod appoints to watch one, one guy, Peter, I don't know if he had heard about the other escapes that had happened miraculously, or, or if that's what's going on, but he appoints four squads, four, four groups of soldiers, and then they have Peter bound in two chains between two soldiers, with sentries at the door. That's a little overkill for one guy, don't you think? But there is Peter captured by the wicked king in prison, and what is he doing? He's sleeping. He's at rest. He's at rest. And I I, I want to tell you why I think he's at rest. Do you remember the story of Peter? This passage we're in this morning, Acts chapter 12, is the last time that Peter will receive primary focus in the book of Acts. And Peter has been part of the story since the beginning days of Jesus' ministry. Since the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, Peter's been there. Peter's been the guy sticking his foot in his mouth over and over again. Peter's been the guy full of emotion and passion, ready to charge. Peter's been the guy who has failed most miserably. And Peter is the one who is kind of the center of the apostles and leading them. And Peter has been the focus of the book of Acts to this point. And this is the last chapter we're going to see Peter. We'll see him briefly in Acts 15, but that's, that's about it. You remember the story of Peter? Peter denied the Lord three times the night of the Lord's crucifixion. And after the Lord rose again, there was a lot of confusion, a lot of people wondering, a lot of the disciples wondering, what's, what's happening? Not sure. And it's at that time Peter says, I'm going to go fishing. That's what he was. He was a fisherman says i'm going to go fishing and he goes fishing and all night he doesn't catch anything the next morning a man appears on the shore and they haven't caught anything and the man cries out what have you caught nothing without put your nets on the other side of the boat and they do and immediately they catch fish and peter knows right away it's the lord you remember what peter does peter doesn't wait for the boat to come back to shore peter jumps in the water and he swims as fast as he can back to the shore to get back to Jesus. And there, Jesus asks him, Peter, do you love me? Three times the Lord asked Peter that. I think reflecting the three times Peter denied him. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Peter, do you love me? me?" Yes, Lord, you know I love you. And he says, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep, Peter. But then Jesus says something to him. Very interesting. He says, truly, truly, this is the Lord to Peter. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This, he said, the text tells us, to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to Peter, follow me. Do you get what's going on in that scene? Jesus tells Peter he's going to die. He says, you love me. Peter, you're going to have an opportunity to show that. Because you're going to die for me, Peter. And then he says again, follow me. I think Peter... I think Peter is resting because he knows he knows that he will die for the Lord I think he knows where he's going and, and at this point he's been bound he's been put in chains he's been put in prison time has come it is my chance this is my opportunity to experience death like the Lord experienced for me I now have an opportunity to glorify him in death. You see, Peter's not afraid of death. Peter's not afraid of dying. Are you afraid of dying? Are you afraid of death? Are you ready to die? Now, I'm not asking in a fatalistic way. I'm not asking in a morbid way. I think it's a little unhealthy to just think about death all the time. But, but we don't live in that culture, do we? we? We live in a world where death is avoided at all costs. No one wants to be reminded of death. No one wants to be reminded of the end. We want to keep on going on living like it's just going to keep going forever. And it's not. And especially if what I said earlier is true the kingdoms of men are set against the kingdom of God and those who are God's people must be ready at all times to die for the sake of the Lord. I think that is part of our great weakness as God's people is that we have fallen in love with this world as if keeping this world and keeping our life in this world is the goal. This is not the goal Our goal is to die, if need be, for the sake of his name. I love what happens next. Peter's there sleeping. And then all of a sudden, an angel of the Lord appears. And I love the language here. He strikes Peter on the side. He strikes him on the side. This is what you did with your kids this morning when they didn't have an hour of sleep, right? <laughs> Boom, get up out of bed. Let's go. It's time to go to, time to go to church. Get up. Told you to get up half an hour ago. No, I, we didn't live that this morning. I'm just saying. The angel strikes him on the side and says, get up. But then look at what He says, I know you didn't catch it because I have never caught this, but reading it and thinking about John 21 and all that, look at what he says. The angel says, get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, dress yourself and put on your sandals. Dress yourself and put on your sandals. In other words, Peter, you're still dressing yourself and you're still going to walk wherever you would go. It's not time to die yet. Dress yourself and put on your sandals. That's, that's, I think, what's being called back to, what's being remembered. Because then again, he says, and he did so, and he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, he thought he was having a dream. But when they passed through the first and second guard, when they got to the iron gate and it opened, he went out along the street and the angel left him. All of a sudden, he realized, I'm out of prison. And he says, verse 11, when Peter came to himself, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. Peter is delivered. Peter is delivered by the hand of the Lord. Jesus was the willing servant, obedient servant of God, like Peter is shown to be here. Jesus was opposed by wicked men. Jesus was delivered over by the same sovereign hand. This is what I'm trying to get you to see. The Lord delivered Peter that day from prison. But that same hand that has the might to deliver from prison, that same hand delivered over the Lord Jesus to death. Jesus was given into the hands of wicked men, but not so that they could do whatever they wanted, no, so that they would do what had been appointed by the Father, by his sovereign hand. This is Acts chapter 4. We've looked at that passage. Jesus was delivered over to death. He was given to death for our sake. And his father delivered him through death. Not from death, but through death. And this is why I said a minute ago, Peter was resting because he was trusting. He was trusting in the sovereign care of his Lord. He knew what he was destined for he was trusting the lord but why can you and i why why can you and i what what grounds do we have this morning to not fear death you and i don't have to fear death why because our lord was delivered over to death for our sake he went through death for us and he was delivered through death as our substitute. We do not fear death because our king has conquered death. We don't fear death because our king has been victorious over death. And surely, God will deliver many of his children over to death for the sake of his name. The role of a servant, and this is the point I want to give you in this section, the role of a servant is not to question where his Lord leads. The role of a servant is to simply follow where the Lord leads. You remember again, John 21. John 21, after Peter is told what's going to happen to him, Peter looks around and he sees John, the apostle. And he says, Lord, what about him? You just told me what's going to happen to me. What about him? What about this man? Jesus says, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. I think Peter has Peter has the same reaction most of us would have. That's why we love Peter because he's saying what we would say most of the time. Peter's told by what death he's to glorify God and he looks around and says what about him? And Jesus says, if I will that he remain until I come, what is that to you, Peter? You follow me. See, the role of a servant is not the question. The role of a servant is to simply follow where his Lord leads. We can have this assurance. We know Oh, I want you to hear this. We know that where he leads us is for his glory. Always. Where he leads us is always for his glory. Trial, circumstance, whatever it may be. He's led us there for his glory. And that is what a servant wants. A servant wants the glory of his Lord. That's what a servant seeks. Is the glory of his Lord. If we are delivered from death, it is for his glory. And if we are delivered over to death, for his name's sake, it is for his glory. So, Whether we die or whether we live, it's all for his glory. And this is good for us to understand. This is good for us to know. No matter where you find yourself this morning, no matter where you're at, no matter where you're going, as servants of God as servants to the Lord, as as those who are gathered under the banner of his name, the banner of his kingdom, we know that we are purposed, destined for glory, but not our own. His. And this is what we want. We sang it last week. I love this song. I don't know why we don't love this song more or sing it more. i got to talk to the person who chooses the songs. That's usually me, by the way. So, <laughs> A mighty fortress is our God. A bulwark. Never failing. You know what a bulwark is? It's a wall of defense. A mighty fortress is our God. A bulwark. Never failing. Our helper, he... Amidst the flood of mortal ills prevailing, for still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. That is our foe, armed with cruel hate on earth is not his equal. Did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side. The man of God's own choosing. Thus ask who that may be? Christ Jesus. It is he. The Lord of hosts, his name. From age to age the same. And he must win the battle. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear. Fear. For God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. That word, above all earthly powers, no thanks to them, abideth. The spirit is. And the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindreds go. This mortal life also. The body they may kill. God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. This is the truth we live in, brothers and sisters. The wicked king seeks to lay violent hands on the people of God, but the people of God rest in the sovereign care of their Lord. And whether we are delivered over to death or whether we are delivered from death, either way, it is for his glory and his truth remains. We see the response of Herod Agrippa when he finds out that Peter has escaped, he gets angry. Instead of instead of relenting, again, like Pharaoh, instead of relenting, he doubles down, and he has the guards who were guarding Peter that he has them killed. The hardness, the stubbornness of wicked men. Our stubbornness, too we would rather hold on to our sin often than capitulate. Here's what we see the wicked king doing. And that leads us then to the final scene. The final scene where we see the victorious word. The victorious word. Herod goes down from Judea to Caesarea and spends time there. Now, it says going down. It's not, they're not going south. They're going down in elevation. In fact, Judea is south of Caesarea. You go up to Caesarea, north to Caesarea. Caesarea is that place on the coast. Remember, we talked about it. It's where a lot of these stories seem to be ending, interestingly enough. Caesarea is that port city that Herod the Great built because Israel had no natural seaport. Herod the Great built a, a port for the financial prosperity of Israel. And it's there that Herod Agrippa goes. Herod Agrippa is the great-grandson of Herod the Great, and he goes to that summer palace. There's a summer palace sitting right there on the, on the sea that Herod the Great or Herod Agrippa goes to. I have a picture of that place in my dining room. If you want to see Caesarea Maritima, which is where this is at, you should come have lunch with me sometime at our house. I'll show you Caesarea Maritima there on our dining room wall. He goes to the summer palace, and he is approached by leaders from Tyre and Sidon. Tyre and Sidon are those regions just north of Israel, remember there's a famine going on people are in need of food and Tyre and Sidon have been at odds with King Herod but they need to make amends they need to make peace because they depend on the king for their food and so they grovel they come to him and they ask for peace it's on this occasion that Herod full of himself and of his power I mean would not you be if you're, you're having other leaders grovel at your feet, begging for your help and for peace, he's full of his power and strength. And I've been to this place where Herod Agrippa delivers a speech. There's an amphitheater there in Caesarea on a platform. Herod Agrippa climbed up onto that platform. And there... He delivers a great speech. Now, Josephus, the first century historian, he actually recounts this event for us in his history, his antiquities. He tells us what happens. Herod Agrippa put on a silver-covered garment, a garment that was covered with silver. And he stands up on this platform, and the sun comes down and Reflects off of the silver garment that Herod has put on so much so that the people could hardly look at him it was so bright and it's there with this shining presence he gives a great speech and the people say this is the voice of a God not a man indeed it was an impressive sight that's what I want you to see here What Herod Agrippa does on that day is, on a level, truly impressive. And Herod gets what he wants. He wants the worship of men. That's what he gets. He gets the worship that he's seeking. He gets the adoration he's seeking. He has his reward. But at the height Of his glory, he is cut down. At the height of his glory, he experiences his demise. Sort of says there look at the text. Verse 22 the people were shouting, the voice of a God and not a man. Immediately, verse 23 an angel of the Lord, there's that word again struck him down because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. Josephus, again, the first century historian tells us exactly what happens. He, he at the height of this speech, in that moment, he experiences excruciating abdominal pain, pain in the abdomen, and he dies soon after an interesting cross-reference here is made in Ezekiel chapter 28 I'm not going to ask you to turn there but Ezekiel chapter 28 there is a judgment prophesied against the king of Tyre the king of Tyre remember Tyre and Sidon were the regions coming to King Herod asking for peace, and he was lording himself over them in this great speech. He could be seen as a king of Tyre, a ruler over Tyre. Ezekiel 28. Son of man, say to the prince of Tyre, thus says the Lord God, because your heart is proud, and you have said, I am a God, I sit in the seat of God's, in the heart of the seas. Yet, you are but a man, and no God. Though you make your heart like the heart of a God, he goes on to say, later in that chapter, about the king of Tyre, he says, you are the signet of perfection full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, sardius, topaz, diamond, beryl, onyx, jasper, sapphire, emerald, and carbuncle, and crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst and you sinned. So I cast you as profane from the mountain of God. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings to feast their eyes on you. And I turned you to ashes on the earth. In the sight of all who saw you. All who know you among the peoples are appalled at you. You have come to a dreadful end and shall be no more forever. This is prophecy in Ezekiel shows us the end of the king of Tyre typified here by Herod Agrippa and his pride seeking his own glory but i want you to i want you to look at what verse 24 says Herod Agrippa the wicked king who sought his own glory he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But verse 24, here's the punchline, really, of the entire text. Verse 24. But the word of God increased and multiplied. The wicked king sought to oppose God's people and the message they were commissioned to carry to the world. He imprisoned Peter. But God's word prevails god's word increases and multiplies the word of god's kingdom continues unhindered and the self-glorifying foe is eaten by worms as will all who seek their own glory The glory of man will fade like the flower of the field. But the word of our God will endure forever. Isaiah 40, you remember that passage? All flesh is grass. And all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers. The flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass; the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. You see, this is what this narrative is about. This narrative is about glory. It is about the glory of man's kingdoms. Seeking to exalt themselves against the glory belonging to God's kingdom. And God's King. Jesus is the perfect, obedient, willing Son who is delivered over by the sovereign hand to death. He is raised to life and declared to be at his resurrection the Lord and Christ, the Lord of God's kingdom. God's anointed, appointed king. Therefore, he alone is worthy of all glory. We sang that just a minute ago in one of our songs. He demands all glory, it is fitting for him to receive all glory. He sought not the temporary glory of man, the praise of man, but the eternal glory of his Father. And thus he should be given all glory. Quote one more passage for you and I'll have just a couple of closing thoughts and then we'll be done, okay? Listen to Revelation chapter 5. This is around the throne of the lamb. It says, they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And they shall reign on the earth Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. Get that picture. Numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven, every creature in heaven and every creature on earth and every creature under the earth and every creature in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures around the, around the throne said, amen. 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 And the elders fell down and worshiped. This one who receives all glory, he is our Lord. He is our King. We live for his glory. Can you sing with Revelation 5? Can you sing that same song? Worthy is the Lamb who is slain. Worthy is the lamb to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Worthy is he to receive everything. Can you say that? Can you say that this morning that you're, you're living for that glory, his glory? Or for your own? Two closing thoughts. Number one, the battle, the battle, the contest, the war that we see pictured here in Acts chapter 12 rages on today. The battle rages, but the victory is won. And we, as his people, share in his victory. We, as his people, minister in his authority. Did you know that? Did you know that you have been given authority by your Lord here on earth? You're like, wow, I like the sound of that. Oh no, it's not what you're thinking. It's not that kind of authority. Did you know you have authority over the devil and his minions? Did you know that? They have no power. The word that you carry is the word of the king. And you carry it in his authority. That is why we go. We go in his name. We go in his authority. We share in his victory. We minister the word in his authority. And we trust in his good and wise sovereignty. We talk about sovereignty a lot here at Trinity Church. And we believe strongly in the sovereignty of God, but sometimes we don't attach the words good and wise to sovereignty. Sovereignty by itself is true. It's a little cold sounding, don't you think? It's true. He is sovereign, but did you know he is also infinite in his goodness and infinite in his wisdom? He is sovereign, but it is a good and wise sovereignty. Everything he does is good, and everything he does is wise. And we trust that good and wise sovereign hand. Are you trusting in the sovereignty, the good and wise sovereignty of our Lord? I asked earlier, are you ready To die? Sounds dramatic, doesn't it? But I, I find this to be the case that we're called to death daily, aren't we? Aren't we called to death daily? Are you ready to die for the sake of the glory of your Lord in your home? Guys, after you're driving home after a long day and you want to just kick your feet up and relax a little bit, are you ready to die For the sake of his name, not seek your own. We can apply that so many ways. Are you ready to die today for his sake? The second thought is this the glory of man is fading, the glory of man is fading. It's compared, the glory of man is compared to the flower of the field. You know why we buy flowers for our wives? Or for our girlfriends? Or for people we love? Why do we buy flowers? Because they're super expensive and they don't last long. They're very pretty, they're very beautiful. But what do we communicate when we buy? You are so I love you so much. I am willing to spend all this money on these things that are already dying. That's why we do it. And some of you are saying, "Well, that's just not practical." Listen, buddy. If you're if you're like thinking, "Well, that's just not practical," you probably want to scale that back a little bit <laughs> and think, you know, that that actually might be a good way to show I love my wife. To do something not super practical to show her I love her. Flowers fade fast. Oh, they're beautiful. No one's no one's no one's saying they're not beautiful. They're beautiful, aren't they? But they fade really fast. All glory, all glory in this world not reflecting his glory, is fading glory. All wisdom, all wisdom, not submitted to his wisdom, is fading wisdom. All beauty, not pointing to his beauty, is fading beauty. And all strength, not dependent on his strength, is fading strength. As God's people, we live here on earth for his glory, for his wisdom, the glory of his wisdom, his beauty, to show his strength, not our own. As God's people, we live for eternal glory, glory that does not fade. We, uh, we like to hold on to this life. I was this is not heavy, it's a little bit light, and so just to be candid in my own life, a couple weeks ago, I was playing basketball, and I don't move like I used to move. But you know what that, you know what that did in my heart? I got angry. I did. I got angry at myself, at my, at my position, at my situation, not at people at myself because I can't move side to side. Like I used to, I can't jump the way I used to, but you know why I got angry because I'm holding on to something that's fading in that moment. I'm trying to hold on to something that it's not meant to last. It goes away. You see a person who's seeking to hold on to fading glory, will be an angry person. It will be a miserable person. A frustrated person. Not an easy person to live with. This is what we see with Herod Agrippa. He was seeking to hold on to his own glory. And that glory, at the height of it, was cut down. As God's people... We don't live for our glory and for that fading, diminishing glory. We live for an eternal glory. Amen. Father, we do thank you for your word this morning. I pray that you would help us as we apply it. Give us wisdom from your store as we apply it. Humble us as your people that we would submit our lives to whatever you would, you would have, whatever you will, that we would have trust in you as good and wise and sovereign Lord. I pray for those here who are still blinded by their sin. They're still blinded by the, the false glories or the fading glories of this world. They think beauty is to be held onto. They think strength is something to boast in or wisdom is something to pursue. They are wrapped up in seeking this life and not ready to lay it down. I pray by your grace you would do a work in their hearts. Bring them to the end of themselves. Show them even now the glory of your Son. He who is equal with God, but did not hold on to that, took on the form of a servant and humbled himself to death. Pray that you would give them eyes to see the glory of Jesus who gave himself to death for the sake of sinful man and was raised in glory, exalted to the right hand of the majesty on high, And alone, he alone is worthy of all glory and honor and power and wealth and wisdom, glory and blessing. We pray that you would help them see that. Help us, again, to recommit ourselves this morning to his name, living for him at all costs, for he alone is worthy. We pray that now in your name. Amen.